You are listening to the Riverside Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at www.riversideconnect.org. Good morning. Good to see you this morning. Many of you I will not see next week if you come here to worship on Christmas Eve, so let me wish you a very Merry Christmas. Hopefully you will have a wonderful time spending with family and friends and loved ones and that your gifts are well received and you receive them well. The scripture says every good and perfect gift comes down from above. And so though somebody may wrap it and give it to you, give God the glory and thank those people for their generosity as well as you being generous. And uh, regarding next Sunday morning, you see these little invitation cards on the chairs around you and maybe under you. If you would just grab one, stick it in your purse, stick it in your back pocket, take them with you so that if you come across paths with somebody this week, in fact, take several. We have a whole bunch out there. Every time you cross paths with somebody, say, hey, are you going to Christmas Eve service? Well, I would like to. I just don't know where to go. Here, come to Riverside. Use these. That's why we print them, and, uh, and we need you to be the distributors. So please, if you would be so uh, uh, kind to do that, that'd be great. That would be great. We are in a sermon series called Gifted. We're talking about uh, the gifts of the Spirit. In fact, today's scripture comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 12. If you have your text with you, or if you have the Riverside app or a digital version, or if you need a hard copy, there's some Bibles in front of you, or open your Bibles up, I invite you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And um, the first verse in that chapter says this. Now about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I don't want you to be uninformed. And so our goal today is that we will get informed about the gifts of the Spirit, okay? And how those are to be applied to our setting here at Riverside. Um, Last week, we had a little object lesson, those of you that were there. If you came this week and weren't here last week, you're welcome to grab, if you haven't already, one of these gift cards, these blank gift cards that were out there. There's pens, you can doodle on them, design them, uh, draw something pretty on them. I was in Oakmont last week when these were handed out, and I I have to say something. When I put my gift up there on the platform, mine was the ugliest of all. I mean, I, I couldn't draw something if my life depended on it. I have absolutely no artistic talent whatsoever. When God was putting artistic talents into the gene pool, I had stepped out to get a snack. I didn't get any of those genes. So I don't have those. And I'm jealous of all these beautiful gifts that you folks put up here and the beautiful drawings. And I wish I had those talents. How about you? Any of you wish you had certain talents that you don't have? Everybody wish they had certain abilities that they don't have, right? I mean, we all have people that can do things better than us that we wish we had. I wish, you know, we wish we were better athletes or better students or we wish we could be better artists or better looking or have better personalities. There are always people out there that are better at things than us and it's so easy to wish that we had those. But better, better is a term of comparison, right? But it's dangerous to compare ourselves with other people, to play that comparison game. And here's the reason why. Two reasons. Number one, there's always somebody better than you, and there are always people that are worse than you. 
And when we play the comparison game, we are doomed to characterize and label other people as superior or inferior to us in any category of life. But the fruit of playing that game is always ends up in pridefulness or embarrassment and shame. I'm proud when I'm feeling superior and I'm ashamed when I'm feeling inferior. And here's the problem with, with that. When, when, when a person feels superior to somebody else, he may think that the rules don't apply to him. If I, as a man, feel like I'm superior to a woman, I may feel entitled to treat her as inferior. I might begin to think that she's there to serve my needs and her thoughts and feelings are not as important as my desires. If a person feels inferior, she can easily think that she should stay silent when she's harassed or has to acquiesce to a person who's superior for fear of reprisals. And when we apply this same thinking to social status, to race or religion, all kinds of terrible things can happen. Slavery is a result of one race thinking that they are superior to another race. The Holocaust is a result of one race feeling that they are superior to another race. And because they feel superior, they, they feel like the rules do not apply and they can take advantage of the other person. Slavery isn't just something that happened at the beginning of our nation's history for a long time. It's happening even today in sex trades and, 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 and slavery, modern-day slavery. In fact, more so even than in the past. But this kind of feeling superior or inferior and raking one another and ourselves with others is a devious ploy of the enemy of our souls. Now, you might say, of course, but we all have different abilities, right? We all have different characteristics. But what if there's a better way than labeling those who are different than us as superior or inferior? How can we treat one another as equals even though we know that we are not equally gifted? That we are all different. What does scripture say about that? What's the better way? Well, that's the setting of this text that we're going to be looking at this morning. That's really the background of why Paul was writing these words in, in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14. Because when the Spirit was spreading across that Greek and Roman world, the Roman Empire and the Greek culture in that first century, like the wildfires are spreading out in California, all kinds of boundaries were being crossed, social boundaries, religious boundaries, cultural boundaries. They were all being crossed because the Spirit was just blowing it all the way. And what made this movement of the Spirit so attractive was because it was so different than the ranking uh, systems of the world. In other words, people, Jews and Gentiles, were worshiping together, coming to Christ. Slave and free were worshiping together. Poor and rich, men and women were all coming together under the same roof and realizing that they are the same. And that kind of ground, that, that, that bottoms-up thinking, that grassroots thinking was spreading throughout the world and turning the world upside down. However... As it spread everywhere it went, 
It was human nature to try to take this Christianity and make it like the other religions and make it like the other movements of the day and categorize and rank people according to whatever rankings people would decide because that's human nature to do that. And so the Spirit had to keep breaking down the propensities of humans to play that comparison game and treat one another as superior or inferior. The church in Corinth was notorious for playing the comparison game. The church that this letter was written to. In fact, at the beginning, the Apostle Paul who wrote it says, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you agree with one another in what you say and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. He goes on to say, some have informed me that there are quarrels among you. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another says, I follow Apollos. Another says, I follow Cephas. Another says, I follow Christ. In other words, my small group's big better than your small group. My clique's better than your group. My group of people is superior to your group of people. And that was the culture of this church. And Paul was writing to them and saying, that just should not be. In fact, later on in chapter 3, he says, I couldn't address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are worldly, mere infants, for there is so much jealousy and quarreling among you. You're being like babies. It's mine. It's mine. I'm better than you. So one of the places that their jealousy and quarreling erupted was in the area of spiritual gifts. And so I want to ask a question. With all of our differences here, our different backgrounds, right? I mean, we're a pretty homogeneous unit, but different backgrounds, different races, different opinions about certain things, different political views, different incomes. How can we step forward in the spirit in unity when there are so many differences among us? And what Paul does here is he uses a metaphor and the metaphor he uses is the human body. And he says, we're one body, but the body's made up of so many different parts. And, and as I read this chapter, it could just as easily been the metaphor of a team. And so this morning, I want to mix the metaphors a little bit so that we can appreciate the things that make for a winning family of God, a winning body of Christ. And so here's the big thought. We step forward in unity because we're all part of the same team. We're all part of the same team. And this kind of jealousy and quarreling and divisions that Paul's writing about uh, should not happen among a team. So he uses the body. Let me read what it says beginning in verse 4 of chapter 12. He says, there are different kinds of gifts, but they're all from the same spirit. There are different ways to serve, but the same Lord to serve. We all have different gifts. We all have different ways that God works through people, but it's the same God, and God works in, uh, in all of us in everything that we do. Something from the Spirit can be seen in each person for the common good. The NIV translates that. Now, to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. In other words, you have something inside of you that you're supposed to contribute for the good of others that you're gifted. And whatever your giftedness is, is supposed to be used to build, to encourage, to give comfort, to lift up others. 
Everybody has something about, of the Spirit of God to contribute. That's the whole point of this. In other words, we all have a unique part to play on this team that we call the church. And we all win when all of us are empowered by the Spirit to use whatever things that God has given us to help benefit others. He goes on in verse 12 to, use, to, to, to go into this metaphor. He says, a person's body is one thing, but it has many parts. Though there are many parts in the body, to the body, all the parts make up only one body. Christ is like that also, he says. Some of us are Jews, and some of us are Greeks. Some of us are slaves, and some are free. But we're all baptized into one body through the Spirit, and we were all made to share in the one Spirit. I don't think 2,000 years removed that we fully get the impact of that sentence, that paragraph right there. It's as if he's saying, some of you are Palestinians and some of you are Jews, but we're all here together, right? And, and he, he's talking about the, the, these people that despised one another and looked down or looked up to one another based upon whatever category they were thinking. And we all do that. We all rank ourselves with other people. Are we better or worse than them in one way or another? Just like I'm the worst of the artists among us. I like how this reads if I change the metaphor to a team. A team is one entity, but it has many positions. Though there are many players on a team, all those players make one team. Christ is like that also. Some of us play offense, some of us play defense. Some of us are starters, some of us are backups. But we're all members of the same team with the same coach and we're wearing the same uniform. Both of those metaphors make the point that all of the parts are essential to the whole. And so three things I want you to get today, and if you're following along in the app, you can fill in the blanks here. Number one is this. On a team, everyone is invaluable and irreplaceable. In the family of God, everyone is essential. I like the team metaphor because it just connects with me. Growing up as a child, I got to play on a lot of different sports teams and and uh, I love observing teams. I love watching team sports. There will be something this afternoon around 4.30 that I will be very interested in watching and rooting for a certain team, right? How many of you will be watching that game this afternoon? Oh, yeah. But, but when I was about 10 years old, playing Little League, my brother was always, you know, a year older than me. My dad was our coach, and he, my brother, pitched I played shortstop. My brother thought he was Juan Marichal. I don't know if you ever remember. You're old enough to remember Juan Marichal. Welcome to the 60s club, okay, at least. Uh, Juan Marichal had this, he was a pitcher. I think he played for the Dodgers. And, and he had a kick that was so, I can't do it. But his kick would be as high as his head coming off the mound. And that's how my brother tried to pitch. And he was really good at it. But we had a kid on our team named Andy. And uh, Andy played outfield. Not just outfield, Andy played right field. And if you're familiar with Little League, you understand the implications of right field. Because nobody hits the ball to right field. 
that's where Andy played. Because Andy was probably when the coaches were picking the teams at the beginning of the season, one of the last kids to be picked. But Andy would come and play. In fact, Andy lived just up the, down the street from uh, where the ball fields were. And that's why Andy could play, because he lived so close. But he had a house, kind of a rundown house out in the woods. His parents never came to the games. He didn't have any friends. I don't know if he had brothers and sisters, but you didn't know that because Andy would just come by himself and he'd show up and he'd get the uniform and he'd be given a glove and a hat and he'd be a Dodger with us. Andy, I'll never forget one time, he did what he was told. He kept his eye on the ball, on a long fly ball. And I don't think it was during the game because nobody could hit that far. But it was during practice before the game. My dad's hitting fly balls, the outfielders. He kept his eye on the ball, but he didn't put his glove up. And it hit him right between the eyes and his nose broke and blood everywhere. And my, my mom ended up taking him to the hospital because his parents weren't there to take him. But Andy was a Dodger. And Andy came back. And Andy kept playing that year. And before long, he started making some plays. He started hitting the ball a little bit. He never became a great player. But Andy was a part of the team. And at the end of the year, when the Dodgers won the Broughton Little League Championships, Andy... I don't know what we got back then, a little thingamajig. I say that because everybody on that team is essential. Everybody on that team was an important part of that team. Everyone's invaluable. Everyone's irreplaceable. And I think sometimes in the family of God, we, we don't understand the value of every person. You know, we focus a lot on the fact that, oh, we're all sinners. We're all broken. Yes, yes, yes. We all fall short of God's demands. We're all born in sin with this sinful nature. We all are selfish and at the core in many ways. And, and that's, there's nothing I can say that can take away from that. But that seems to be the focus. But, but the message of the crucifixion is this. God thinks you are worth dying for. God values you so much that he thought you were worth dying for. You ever been to an auction? You know, in an auction, nothing has inherent value. The value of whatever object that's being auctioned is the value of what somebody is willing to pay for that object. In fact, uh, you probably saw on the news a couple weeks ago, uh, at Christie's, I believe it was, auction house, there was a painting, a Da Vinci painting. And then people aren't even sure it's a Da Vinci painting. But this Da Vinci painting sold for 500 or $451 million. Whew. There's a scripture that says, but you were bought at a price. And do you know what that price was? Yeah, God came down to earth, lived a sinless life, showed us what it was to be fully human, to follow God's ways, to reach out to the outcast, to love the unlovable, to speak against the abuse of power, speaking truth to, to, to power. 
and he was crucified on the cross. God did that because he thought you were worth it. You're valuable. You're valuable to God and you're valuable to God's family. You're valuable to the kingdom of God. You're worth dying for. That speaks of value, the invaluable, you're invaluable, but, it, but, but you're also irreplaceable, which speaks of function, meaning no one can take your place. You're sitting in a chair. No one else is sitting in that chair this morning. You have a chair in the family of God. You have a seat in the family of God. You have a place in the family of God. No one can take your place. Now, I know, I know Coach Tomlin's slogan is when somebody goes down, next man up, nobody's irreplaceable, but the next man up is no Ryan Shazier, <laughs> right? The next one up, though, though if that next one up wasn't there, there'd be a big hole right in the middle of the field Better to have the next man up than no man up, right? And so the idea is that everybody is, 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 is irreplaceable. And, and the thing is, as we, speaking just in our kind of context of Riverside Church, think about this. You know, we have about six, 700 people on a Sunday morning, sometimes a little more, sometimes a little less, but... Four services, two locations. Do you know on any given Sunday, there are about 200 people that are making it happen? 200 people. That doesn't count who's volunteering on a Sunday night with Nexus, Tuesday night with the table, Wednesday night with children's ministry and small groups, outreaches that are going on every week that we don't see or hear much about. So everybody, what I'm trying to say is everybody has a place. Everybody can do something to contribute, not just to Riverside, but I'm just talking about living with a sense of I am valuable to God and I'm valuable to God's family and I have a place and nobody can take my place and my role, my, my, my role, R-O-L-E, my role in life is to contribute whatever it is that God has given me to help build others up. It's as simple as that. So, so in the family of God, everyone is valuable. No one is replaceable. I like what it says there in verse 22. There are those parts of the body or the team that seem to be weaker are indispensable. The message puts it this way. The least important parts are most necessary. If you don't use your gifts. If you don't play your part, there's no substitute. There's no backup. No one can take your place. So you're not here by accident. You're here by divine appointment. You're here because God called you and placed you there. In fact, I like what it says in verse 18. God has carefully placed each part of the body or the team right where he wanted it. Right where he wanted it. So every member of the team is essential. Every person of the family of God is valuable. Notice at the end of, this, of that, pair, of that uh, chapter, he says, are all apostles, are all teachers, do all have gifts of healings, do all speak in tongues, do all interpret? And the obvious answer to that is no. Nobody has, does it all. It takes all kinds. And in fact, the, this whole chapter, uh, there's, a, there's a slide I want to put up there. These are the lists of gifts 
that are just listed in this chapter, but that doesn't include all the gifts listed in the Bible. Romans 12 has a list of gifts. Ephesians 4 has a list of gifts. And all of those don't include all the gifts that are necessary in order to serve the body of Christ. I mean, there were things that weren't around back then. There wasn't the gift of technology. There wasn't the gift of, of, of uh, coding or, or, or graphic arts. There wasn't the gift of, of uh, getting up at seven in the morning and taking signs and driving around and putting signs out all around this place so that people can find the church. There, aren't, there are so many things that everybody can do that aren't listed in Scripture. But according to the scriptural gifts, if you'll look in your app, if you have the app at the bottom there, there's notes, and don't do it now, but you can download a spiritual gifts assessment. You can kind of do that little assessment. It might help you. We have a course that we're going to be teaching that Mike Evans is teaching beginning next month in our next semester called The Cure for the Common Life, and it talks about how you can use your gifts to serve others. So, so that's, that's, that's valuable for you to look at. But the, the point there is that every member of the team is essential, that we are all important. The second thing I want to get across is on a team, we all work together to reach a common goal. Now in football, what's the goal? Get the ball across the end zone, the goal line, to get it through the uprights and to do that more than your opponent does and to stop them from being able to do that. For, for Christ followers, what's the goal? What's the object of the game? You know, throughout our lives, we're, we're taught through our culture that the goal in life is to climb the ladder, you know, to climb higher than somebody else. And we do that by getting more income, getting better positions, uh, um, uh, in so many different ways. We're always climbing that ladder. And, and in fact, for many of us, Jesus is just another rung on that ladder that we ask him to help us climb the ladder more. And our whole reason to come to Jesus is, I want to be wealthier and I want to have more and, 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 and be more important. But here's the thing. The way of Jesus isn't about ladders. It's about crosses. Jesus' message is that you don't find life in ascending, you find life in serving. It's not about success, it's about significance. One of Stephen Covey's well-known seven habits is to begin with the end in mind. And for the Christian, what's the end in mind? Well, I think the end in mind is when we stand before our Creator. And I think when we stand before our Creator, there will probably be a couple questions that, that we should have nailed down. <laughs> I don't think it'll be a theological test. I really don't. But, but I think one of the things that is going to be asked is, what did you do with Jesus? What did you do with Jesus? Did you, did you receive his forgiveness? Did you receive the gift of God's grace and God's mercy? Did you welcome Christ in your life? And did you allow Christ to transform and change you? But then the other is, what did you do with what I gave you? What did you do with the gifts I gave you? What did you do with the talents I gave you? What did you do with the abilities? What did you do with the blessings that I've given you? Have you used that? Have you used that to invest in helping the world be a better place? That's really what I think the judgment is going to be all about. So here, you know, we have said it many times already this morning is that we exist as a body of believers 
to help people find Jesus and to help them learn what it means to follow Jesus. And if we can work together to do that and coordinate all of our gifts and abilities, we're doing pretty well. We want to be a place, a church that's welcoming and relevant to our generation. We want to connect people to Christ so that they can be transformed by his love and then they can be empowered by the Spirit to go out and contribute to making the world a better place. That's really what we're all about. But you know what? I can't do that. Dave can't do that. Donnie can't do that. We we just aren't, we cannot, but you know what? We all can do it. You can do it. I can do it. You can hand an invitation card to somebody and invite them to come Christmas Eve. We can all coordinate whatever abilities and gifts and skills that God's given us to be able to invest in others. So here's the thing. In the family of God, in the team called the community of Christ, there's no room for jealousy and quarreling. But when we work as a team, man, we can accomplish so much. It's a compelling mission. Last thing, and I want to conclude real quickly here, is on a team, everyone protects and defends one another against the opponent. Right? We're all here to to watch each other's back, to care for each other. We live in a fallen world. We're fallen people. We're harassed by a fallen angel. Jesus said the thief comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. But I have come that you might have life to the fore, abundant life. One of the reasons we're so big here at getting connected in a C group, in a, in a, a connection group or a contribute group is so that you would have people that you're in relationship with that are there to have your back, that you can have their back, that you can build relationships of rapport. When one person is suffering, everybody comes around and helps. When one person's rejoicing, we can all rejoice together as a family. And so I challenge all of us as we look forward to a coming year, how can we step up? How can we contribute what God has given us? How can we connect with other people? How can we be a part of a team that's about something that's far bigger than us, far more important than us? So in the family of God, you're invaluable. You're irreplaceable. The family of God, we got to coordinate and collaborate to be able to accomplish the compelling mission. We need to look out for one another and be there for one another. It's such a joy to be a part of a family that gets it and knows it, and you do. And I'm just honored and blessed to be a part of this. Think about all the effort that goes into winning a football game. All the strategy and thinking and how many people, not just the players and not just the coaches, but the practice teams, the, the, the equipment managers. Could you imagine they show up at a game and they don't have helmets and they don't have pads? Who thinks about the equipment manager? The doctors, the therapists, the trainers. The flight coordinators, the travel people, the front office, the back office, all that goes into winning a silly football game. How much more important is it 
to help people find Jesus, to help people follow Christ. But we get to be a part of that. We get to be a part of that. We don't have to be. We get to be a part of that. You're a part of that. You're a part of that. And all of us have things to give. Paul ends this chapter when he talks about all the spiritual gifts and how we're like a parts of a body. He says, let me, let me tell you a better way. And he goes from describing the gifts to talking about the spirit of the gifts. And then he writes chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians, one of the most profound, beautiful, well-known passages of Scripture. I'm going to invite you to close your eyes. I'm going to ask the band to come up at this time. Just bow your heads with me and close your eyes because I, I, I want to just let you hear the words that he wrote here. To people who are jealous and quarreling with each other about who's more important, whose gifts are, are more valuable and where they are on the ladder, how they rank with other people. He said, I want to show you the most excellent way. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I'm just a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I might boast, but don't have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they'll cease. Where there's tongues, they'll be stilled. Where there's knowledge, it'll pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when completeness comes, all that is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. But then... We shall see face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain. Faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. The very next verse, beginning of chapter 14, says, Let love be your highest goal. Let's stand together. Let's stand together. You can't give what you don't have. You can't give Jesus away if you don't have Jesus in you. You 
can't be used of the Spirit if the Spirit isn't empowering you. And so here we stand, all of us, different backgrounds, different personalities, different abilities, different income levels, but we all have a common bond. We're just people who need somebody who knows us intimately and loves us unconditionally. Someone who can shine the truth on our lives and to the darkened hearts and help us break free from that power of darkness. We all need somebody who can give us purpose and meaning. Somebody who can help us break through to the other side where there is no more darkness. In fact, we all, in short, need Jesus. We all need the Spirit. And so, would you just pray, God, we give ourselves to you and we open our hearts for you. Pour your spirit. Help us to see the gifts you've given us. And go, Lord, we just open our hearts to whatever new gifts you might want to give us so that we might contribute to your mission to help others find you, follow you, to love others in Jesus' name to be the body of Christ in our world, in our generation. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Riverside Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at www.riversideconnect.org.